All right, I guess we better get into our scriptures this morning. We're going to finish out Daniel chapter 11. I mentioned we might get into 12, but we're going to save that for next week. We're going to just finish off 11. And so let's pray. Father God, thank you for all that you're doing in our world. Lord, we thank you for this great youth revival happening in these Christian colleges. Lord, we don't know what you have in mind. We don't know how far this will go, but we hope and pray, Father, that it is a genuine revival and outpouring of your Holy Spirit that will bleed over into every segment of our society. But Lord, regardless, we will keep our eyes on you. Lord, your word tells us that those who endure till the end will be saved. Lord, help us to persevere, to endure, to continue to fight the good fight of the faith. And Lord, we ask you to bless this time in your word this morning. Lord, continue that ongoing process of training us, equipping us, preparing us to rule and reign with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So we get into this final section of Daniel 11. Up until this point, we've been looking at historical events that took place about 300 years after Daniel's time. Amazing that he could so accurately prophesy and predict those things, but we know God had been sending him an angelic messenger giving him this information. Does God already know everything that's going to happen before it happens? Absolutely. And we've talked about the amazing accuracy and how that's another of many proofs that the Scripture truly is God's inspired Word. And everything that God has said would happen has happened, and therefore we can bank on the fact that those things that haven't happened yet will happen. But now as we get into verse 36 through 45, we are launched way into the future. We're launched basically into the time that you and I are now living in. In verses 36 through 45, a leader is described who is introduced simply as the king. Some suggest that this is Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the guy that we've been talking about who sacrificed the pig on the altar in 167 B.C., and that the verses describe additional incursions of his into Israel. But however, the details given in these verses were not fulfilled by Antiochus. It is true that Antiochus was a foreshadowing of a king who will come, referencing chapter 8, verse 25. But the two are not the same. One is past, one is future. The coming king, the little horn of Daniel 7, 8, and the ruler of Daniel 9, 26, will be the final ruler uh, in the Roman world, if you will, whether or not that is literally Roman, but it is a revival of the Roman Empire, even as Adolf Hitler called his Reich the Third Reich. He viewed himself as the successor and wanted to rule and reign over this planet for a thousand years. Does that sound familiar? His rise to prominence by satanic power is described in Revelation 13, 1 through 8 where he's called the beast. I'm sure you're familiar with that terminology. And according to the Apostle John in Revelation 17, 12, and 13, he will gain authority not by military conquest, which is typically historically the way we've seen rulers come to power, but by the consent of the ten kings who will submit to him. And we've talked about this agenda 2025 and 2030 and so forth, and they have a plan to do away with all national borders and boundaries, does that sound familiar? And divide the earth into ten uh, segments. There'll be 
ten kings or ten rulers over those various segments. And at the very top of the chain will be the Antichrist. Starting with Daniel 11:36, the prophecy moves from the near to the far, like I said. The events recorded in verses 36 through 45 will occur, I believe, and many others believe, during the final seven years of the 77s of Daniel 9, 24. Daniel's 70 weeks. This will be the final seven years, seven weeks. So let's pick it up in verse 36. The king shall do according to his own will. Now we know historically some rulers, some leaders are better than others. But the Antichrist will be totally motivated by self-interest. And we know that uh, even though all leaders, rulers, mayors, governors, senators, congressmen, presidents, vice presidents, you name it, the ideal is that they are public servants, right? And yet we know that not all have the public's best interest at heart. But the Antichrist will be the epitome of the opposite, totally self-focused, self-centered, and I've said this before, but all sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. That's at the heart of sin. That's at the heart of the devil's fall. He fell because it was all about him. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to usurp God's authority, God's power. He wanted to rise up above the stars of heaven, above the angelic beings. Satan literally wanted to be God. That is the ultimate expression of total self-focus, self-interest. And that's what the Antichrist will be. And yet he will have a charisma and a seductiveness about him that will draw in all those who are deceived. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god with a little g and shall speak blasphemies against the god, big G, against the god of gods. And this, this is a very specific prophecy that's echoed by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. You've heard me quote this scripture many times as we've been talking over the last several years about the end times, studying the book of Revelation. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming claiming himself to be God. This will happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. That's what it says um, in the NIV. He shall exalt himself and magnify above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. That's what the NIV says. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. The time of wrath is the seven-year tribulation. I've emphasized this over and over again. There's always this ongoing debate among believers. Well, why should we be allowed to skip persecution when every generation has been persecuted? Now, arguably, up to this point in our nation's history, yeah, there's been some persecution of Christians, but not a lot. It seems to be intensifying, but we know that people all over the world are literally dying for their faith, right? Christian martyrs. And that's been true ever since the first century. In fact, I've said before, God's people have been persecuted all the way back to Cain and Abel. The ungodly Cain slew 
uh, the righteous Abel, right? He was jealous of the fact that his brother had a genuine, intimate relationship with God, and Cain did not, so he murdered his brother. That's always happened. But the word persecution and the word wrath are two totally different words. We have at least a couple of really key examples in the scriptures of God's wrath. One, the flood of Noah. Were God's people swallowed up in that flood? No, they were not. Noah and his family were delivered. And then there was Lot and his family when God poured out his wrath on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Was, were Lot and his family consumed? No, they were delivered. They were brought out. In fact, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and also as it was in the days of Lot, shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So I want to show you several scriptures that speak about this wrath. This Antichrist shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished or till the time of the wrath is completed. This is a specific reference to the time of wrath, the seven-year tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. Colossians 3.5 Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, your flesh, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. New Testament, future event. The wrath of God is coming upon whom? The sons of disobedience. If you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit... Are you a son of disobedience or a daughter of disobedience? Not anymore. The wrath is for the sons of disobedience. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. He's telling the Thessalonians, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. And that means that you're, you're watching for the return of of the Son of God. You're not preoccupied with other things. You're not ignoring it. When you're waiting for His Son from heaven, you have your eyes to the skies. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, what does Jesus do according to this verse? Delivers us from the wrath to come. The rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but did God appoint his children to endure persecution? Yes, that's always happened. Why? Because it glorifies him, it strengthens us, it tests us. Do you know that there's no greater form of deception than self-deception? Sadly, there are many people who are deceived into thinking they're going to heaven when they're not. One reason might be that they believe they are saved by their own good works. Sorry, that doesn't cut it. Others might believe it's because they follow certain religious rituals. The Eucharist. It's a celebration, but taking communion will not save you. You take communion because you're saved. Baptism will not save you. You get baptized because you've been born again. 
Some people believe they're going to heaven because they are involved with a certain particular denomination. Some believe they're the only ones going and nobody else. Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you avoid the wrath to come? You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's not because we deserve it. See, that's, that's the fallacy of that argument. Well, because at some point, God's word comes true. When he says there's a generation on this planet that will not see physical death, how does that happen? By being raptured, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That doesn't mean that that generation's any better than any other generation. That doesn't mean you're a Christian who deserves it, whereas previous generations did not deserve it. It just happens to be you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> God's choosing, not mine. I didn't choose when I was going to be born. And again, you have to take the good with the bad. Talked about some nasty, gnarly things this morning. The Bible clearly tells us that things have to get worse and worse and worse before the end comes. Just like in the days of Noah, it tells us in Genesis 6 that the, the thoughts of men's hearts was only evil all the time. And so God said, Oy vey! I'm done with this. We're going to start over with a little seedling group, Noah and his family, and everybody else was wiped out. Essentially, that's what's going to happen with the tribulation, because at the end of the tribulation, a vast majority of the people on the planet will no longer be alive, and out of the ones that are, there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will enter the millennial kingdom, the goats will be cast out, and at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, only believers will be a part of populating this planet. The eternals, the immortals, you and I, and the mortals who survive the tribulation who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation 6, 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's when the tribulation has begun. Okay, so the king, here it gets interesting because we've heard these same, the same language previously regarding Antiochus and the other descendants of the, the rule and reign of Alexander the Great, his four generals and their progeny, their offspring. But now it's a different group. The king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships. Now we know that this is written from an ancient perspective at the time of Daniel. They don't use chariots anymore. What would be a possible alternative? Tanks. Thank you very much. That deserved more laughter. <laughs> Give me a break. That was spontaneous, off the cuff, from the hip. No hesitation. Okay, well, it's what it is. But notice, many ships. The only nation to the north of Israel 
that possesses significant naval power is Russia. And her allies include those nations that are also aligned with the king of the south, Egypt. So he shall also enter the glorious land, and that would be Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. As you know from our study in chapter 9, the Antichrist is going to be the initiator, the inaugurator of a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies, a seven-year peace treaty. But it's going to begin to unravel about midpoint of the tribulation. The nations will once again begin to rise up against Israel, and this will provide the perfect excuse for the Antichrist to invade Israel, supposedly to protect them. And around that same time is when he would establish himself in the temple to be worshipped as God. These shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. These people groups lived in what is now known as Jordan. Jordan's one of the more moderate Arab countries in the Middle East. You never really hear about them when you're hearing conflicts with the various Islamic nations. And it's possible that their passivity will save them from being attacked by the Antichrist. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Now some things that we see in this passage. One, that not all nations will go quietly into the night when it comes to submitting to the Antichrist. Some will resist his quest for global domination. But not surprisingly, it would appear to be the Islamic, Arab Islamic nations that are the most resistant, but he will ultimately subdue them as well. Verse 44, But news from the east and the north shall trouble him, therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So the east, who do you suppose the east would be? China. China. Thank you, Donald Trump. China. To the east. And the north would be Russia. Oh my goodness. Who's just been talking about entering into an alliance? Russia and China? How did that happen? Could it be Biden? It could be. Okay. Russia to the north, China to the east. It sounds as though the Antichrist may launch a preemptive strike against these two nations. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, Mount Zion. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So again, this is a, I think I skipped something. I did. I went onto the wrong page. I had my notes mixed up. Boy, did I goof up. Now I'm going to have to backtrack. Kim, you should be double checking me. It's all your fault. Wow, did I goof up. How did I, no wonder, I thought, I'm already at the end? What's going on here? All right, so we're going to back up. Oh, boy. God has ways of keeping me humble. So we left off on page one with Revelation 6, 17, the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And then it tells us, 
for what has been determined shall be done. For what has determined has been done. Just as it was predetermined that Judas would betray Jesus. We talked about the fact that God knows everything before it's going to happen, right? Just as it was predetermined that Judas would betray Jesus and that the Romans would crucify him, a lot of people were caught off guard. Jesus wasn't caught off guard. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he walked willingly into it to pay the price for our sins. So in his foreknowledge, God predetermined the rise and fall of the Antichrist, not that he was going to make him do it, but God already knew what would happen. So what has been determined shall be done. Like I've said, everything that God has said would happen has happened, and those things that haven't happened will happen. God predetermined the rise and fall of the Antichrist, which would precipitate the outpouring of his wrath on a wicked and unbelieving world. All right, verse 37, now that we're back where we're supposed to be. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now this is one of the verses that some use to promote the idea that the Antichrist will be a Jew. You've probably heard that. There are others of various opinions. It simply means that he will have no respect for religion or religious heritages, particularly the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this phrase did not necessarily mean that the Antichrist must be a Jew. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Now, this is interesting. This has caused some to speculate that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Now, back in the day, Pastor Chuck had some different ideas on this, but he's been gone since 2013, and as things have evolved, I think that this is a greater and greater possibility. Considering the state of the world today, it's certainly a strong possibility. The one-world government of the Antichrist will be a type, at the very least, of the revived Roman Empire, and homosexuality was, I don't know if you knew this, was rampant in ancient Rome. You probably did know it. Even as it's becoming rampant in today's society. And being promoted to the extent, you guys see the commercials on TV, right? It's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands as to how many of you have already thrown some hard object into your TV screen. <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but I've been tempted. I'm tempted to do more than that, but I'm born again. <laughs> and so, you could see, and, and that, in fact, even within our own uh, nation, as well as other nations, but in various realms of society, the church, more and more denominations are not only allowing it, they're promoting the elevation of, of LGBTQ blah, blah, blah people into the ministry. There are fewer and fewer groups that are not doing that. Thankfully, Calvary Chapel is one of them. But they're also celebrating the elevation of these people into the ranks of government, corporate America. It's now become a symbol of wokeism, for one thing, 
but a symbol of superiority. If you promote people within the LGBTQ community, I might as well say goodbye to Facebook right now, or uh, YouTube right now. <laughs> Got knocked off last week. I don't even know what I did. Today I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's become a, a badge of honor to promote and elevate these people to political office, to high places in the tech world, industry, and so forth, even in churches. Boy, if you're, you're really on the cutting edge if you have gay people in charge. So why would it be shocking or surprising that the Antichrist might actually be LGBTQ plus IA blah, blah, blah? He, she, it, they, them, Z. Okay, the, um, he will not, he shall ne regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, big or small, big G, our God, little G, all the other gods, for he shall exalt himself above them all. So the Antichrist will be an equal opportunity disregarder. Whether it's Jehovah, Buddha, Allah, Krishna, you name it, he will exalt himself above all. And the fact that this is an end times Antichrist reference is confirmed in the New Testament scriptures, Revelation 13, 6 through 15. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Again, people say, well, I thought we were going to be raptured. Why does he make war against the saints? Because there will be people saved after the rapture. Get it? I've told you before, I believe the biggest revival in the world history will be right after the rapture of the church. Doesn't that make sense? Won't that get a lot of people's attention when millions of people suddenly disappear? So it will be the tribulation saints that he will wage war against and to overcome them, many will be beheaded for their faith. That's okay. It's the greatest honor a believer can have to die for Christ. We may not be that excited about it, but it is a great honor. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints to persevere, to endure, to hang in there, to fight the good fight. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This is the false prophet, number two man. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, almost like a uh, satanic Moses and Aaron where this false prophet the leader of the one world religion doing the bidding of the Antichrist will represent him speak on his behalf causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast the Antichrist whose deadly wound was healed there will be some kind of a fake false counterfeit resurrection which makes him the epitome of the false Christ, the Antichrist. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down. This is the false prophet from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth 
by those signs which he has granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted, and of course, the sword, again, that's a, something that they would have recognized 2,000 years ago as one of the most powerful and significant weapons used. We don't know by what means the Antichrist will meet his end or so-called end. Here it says, wounded by the sword. Could be any number of things. Gunshot. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And again, many ideas about what that image of the beast will be. There was speculation of a holographic image in the temple. Could be a clone. But they're not really cloning anything yet, are they? <laughs> Or are they? <laughs> there was a guy back in the 80s, Steve Taylor, cutting-edge Christian music artist. One of his songs, he was imitating Bob Dylan. He has a line where, everybody must get cloned. And that was 30-plus years ago. Maybe more like 40. Are there clones among us? We know there's a fungus among us. That deserved more laughter, too. What is going on? What's going on? My wife always tells me, you're the funniest when you're not trying to be. <laughs> Verse 38, But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, and a god which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. So the Antichrist god even though he proclaims himself to be God, his God will be military power and warfare. Our God is a God of peace. Who's the God of war? Satan. And by the way, his other name is Allah, the God of war, the God of the sword. If you hopefully you've got your Avi Lipkin down. The sword God, he is called, Allah is called, What's their, their symbol? The sword. Gee. Kind of see it all coming together, don't you? Okay. Verse 39. Then he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which shall, he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. He shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god. So once the Antichrist has risen to power by forging a peace treaty in the Middle East, he will begin to attack major world cities in order to subdue the nations and bring them all under his control. The foreign god, by the way, is Satan. Again, this idea of attacking major world cities in order to subdue the nations, that's after he's already come to power. He's proclaimed the man of peace, the man of the hour, the savior of the world. He made the peace treaty. And, but then he launches his full-out uh, agenda. And by the way, you probably know about EMP weapons, right? Electromagnetic particle weaponry, where they can shut down a whole city without destroying it. He's not going to want to destroy all the cities of the world. He's just going to want to take control. That would be one method by which he could do that. And there's more and more concern about that all the time amongst our top military brass, our leaders, about an EMP attack. 
And there are other methods they can use as well. You know that. Tacking the water supply and the utilities and different things. Which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. This foreign God. He shall cause them to rule over many. NIV says, will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people. And so, again, like we saw under Antiochus, how there were Jews who betrayed their own people and went in, into cahoots with Antiochus and rewarded by him for betraying their own people by turning from their own God. The same thing will happen here with people who betray their own people by yielding their national sovereignty to the Antichrist. And they'll receive money, power, and position for it. And divide the land for gain. So lands that were previously held by nations and their citizens will be sold off to those who pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. By the way, China is already buying up a lot of our land, aren't they? Some people are trying to fight it, but it doesn't seem to be very effective. So the deceived people of this world think that we're rapidly approaching a one-world utopian brotherhood of man, right? They think it's great. We're breaking down all the barriers, getting rid of national sovereignty, no borders. They think we're approaching that final one-world government which will lead to peace and prosperity and happiness and all the rest. But we're actually moving swiftly towards a return to the oppression and abuse of the Dark Ages where a few very wealthy and powerful men controlled everything. Does that sound familiar? And abuse and oppression were the order of the day. That's why they were called the Dark Ages. You know what brought us out of the Dark Ages? The Gospel of Christ. You know what's plunging us back into the Dark Ages? The rejection of the Gospel of Christ. Daniel 11:40. At the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. The events of 40 through 45 will transpire at the time of the end. That is, they will occur in the second half of the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th seven of years, the second half of the tribulation. The Antichrist will have entered into a covenant with the people of Israel, as you know, binding that nation as a part of his domain. Daniel 9.27 says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The many being the people of Israel and the, their, their enemies. Any attack then against the land of Israel will be an attack against him with whom Israel will be joined by covenant until he breaks that covenant by setting himself up as God. The king of the south shall attack him. This was seen to be Egypt. And her allies, in this invasion, Egypt will not come alone, but will bring the Libyans, the Nubians, verse 43. These nations referred to elsewhere as Put and Cush. They may be nations in Africa, but it's more likely that Put refers to the Arab nations in the Sinai area and Cush to nations in the Persian Gulf region. As I mentioned earlier, not everybody's just going to lay down and take it. There's going to be some resistance but he will ultimately prevail until the time of the end. So we actually already got to the end of the message earlier. Verse 45, He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So, yeah, Daniel just basically gives us a quick overview of the tribulation here. 
and these verses, we know we get a lot more specificity in the book of Revelation, but Daniel's end game here is in chapter 12, and that's the good part. The glorification of the saints. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So uh, this threat of attack by China and Russia, remember China from the east, Russia from the north, will cause the Antichrist to move his headquarters to Israel from wherever it was previously. Again, various ideas about where that will be. Babylon, Rome. There are a number, we've talked about this before too, where there are a number of cities set on the seven hills. But he will move his headquarters between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean, between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And by the way, that kind of corresponds with what we know as the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. And that's what is implied here, although Daniel doesn't go into detail. This is leading up to the, the Battle of Armageddon, which is clearly spelled out in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Yet he will come to an end, and no one will help him. So camping out in the Holy Land is not going to save his tail. He will come to his end at the hands of the victorious return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And again, like I said, I love chapter 12 because just like we read some of these positive reports today in the news, chapter 12 is good news. Let's stand. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, if anyone has a prayer request, please raise your hand. I'd like to lift those up to the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word, the accuracy, the specificity, Lord, the pinpoint accuracy of your word, confirming that it's not the words of men, it's your word, because only you, only God could have accurately predicted all these things before they happened, even as you have accurately predicted the things that are happening even now and the things that are going to happen in the near future. We thank you that you've given us access to this information, to this knowledge. Help us to use it wisely. Lord, as we spoke this morning about the devil being like a roaring lion, wandering to and fro about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Lord, help us to be alert, attentive, watchful, not fearful, not anxious, not worried. Help us to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ. And that we be excited about these things because we know that means we're going to see Jesus very soon. Thank you, God. And Father, we do lift up everyone who's raised their hand this morning for a prayer request. Lord, whether it might be a health issue. Lord, those things can be troubling to us. They're no problem for you. And Father, we know at the end of the day we are going to receive eternal, immortal, glorified bodies, imperishable incorruptible, eternal. But in the meantime, Lord, we are living in these bodies that are mortal, cursed by sin. Lord, we do get injuries. We do get sick. We lift these things up to you now and pray for your healing touch. Lord, again, not because we deserve it, but because you are a loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, and you love to give good gifts to your children. So we pray for healing for those who are struggling with allergies, cold, flu, sinus, whatever it might be, Father, cancer, 
Lord, we ask that you would speak to these conditions. Lord Jesus, just like you did when you were here on earth, and you spoke to these afflictions, you spoke to these people who were afflicted, and you pronounced healing. We ask you to pronounce healing over those here today, those watching online, those that we are standing in the gap for. Father, we ask that you would pronounce healing over them in the precious name of Jesus. And we will give you the glory and the honor. Lord, we pray for those with mental and emotional issues. Those can be just as debilitating, if not more so, than the physical conditions. We pray for healing of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Restoration, Father, for those who are troubled in their spirit and their soul and their mind. We ask for healing in Jesus' name. For relief and release from anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief. Lord, we renounce all these things in Jesus' name. We don't want them. We ask you to take them from us. Give us the mind of Christ, even as you promised that you would do. Lord, we lift up broken marriages, broken relationships. We pray for healing, for restoration. Father, you are the God of restoration. You're the God of second chances. We ask you to heal marriages that are, might even be appear beyond repair. But we know nothing is too difficult for you. And help us, Lord, to be cooperative with you and follow your Holy Spirit as you guide us and direct us in ways that can help to promote that reconciliation, whether it be marriage, friendship, whatever level of relationship it might be, family members. Lord, we pray for healing. And finally, we pray for provision for resources that we need to survive here on planet Earth. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've mixed up and confused our wants and desires with our needs. We know they're not always the same thing, but we ask for provision, Lord, for, for housing, Lord, for shelter, for food, for transportation, those things that we need to get by in this world that we live in. And again, we will give you the glory and the praise and the honor for providing for us. No matter where the paycheck comes from, you're the provider, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we ask now that you'd receive our final offering of praise here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.